0: This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at LifeChurchUtah.com. Let's pray. Dear God, we just thank you for this food and thank you for your nourishable life for our body. We thank you for this meal together as a family. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God, I'm praying for my family right now. We're all sick and we need your healing. God, I pray for this presentation today that may go well. Whatever the outcome is, Just have it be your will. All right, God. So I know I'm not really ready for this test, but please help me not to fail it. God, thank you for good friends, for giving me the strength and the friendship that I need. Today's going to be so hard. God, I need your strength. Lord, please help my parents stop fighting. Lord, thank you so much for my grandparents. God, give me the strength to get my family through this. God, I'm so happy. I pray that you would bless our marriage. I invite you to pull out your notes for today's message if you'd like to do that. But before I get in the message, I just want to reiterate something that was on uh, video up there. Uh, it said be, sort of uh, be watching for something that's going to change on Wednesday nights. Uh, we're, we have a change coming to the first Wednesday night of every month. It's going to be a powerful change. It's going to be an exciting change. God's going to really move. I'm excited. The staff is excited. And we want you to know to prepare yourself to be there that very first Wednesday night that we start this in April. I believe that's April the 5th. And it'll be every first Wednesday of every month after that. We'll let you more de- know more details about that as we get just a little bit closer. We're in the, the series that we call Seek It. And what we're talking about seeking is, of course, the kingdom of God because Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, don't worry about these things, saying, What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Then, verse 33 is the key verse that we're focusing on seek the kingdom of God above everything else and live righteously. And God will give you everything you need. What a powerful truth that is. Seek the kingdom of God above everything else in your life. The Lord will take care of everything else in your life if you will do that. So today I want to talk with you about being effective in seeking the kingdom of God. Exactly how do you go about doing that? I want to talk about that today. Probably most of us here, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, uh, have experienced the, the frustration of praying and seeing, well, frankly, what appears to be nothing happening after you pray. I can tell you that as a young pastor, I remember sometimes going to a hospital to pray over somebody, and only to receive word later on that they were worse after I prayed for them than they had been before, and I started getting a little self-conscious about that and wondering, well, God, what's happening with my prayers? Now, I'm probably over-exaggerating that just a little bit, but there are certainly times when we don't see the power of God in operation the way we thought we would or certainly the way we desire or hope for. And maybe you have... Uh, experienced the same thing. The the frustration of unanswered prayer. It can be one of the most puzzling of questions. Why didn't God answer my prayer? H.L. Mencken once said, there's always an easy solution to every human problem, neat, plausible, and wrong." And that's what I have found about this question, why didn't God answer my prayers? There are all kinds of answers to that question out there that you can find, and I will say that most all of them are wrong. We have to find the answer from God. I wish that I could answer you uh, completely that particular question, but truth is, I don't always know either why God didn't answer prayer the way we had prayed. I struggle sometimes with questions just like you probably do. And you know, I don't think that having questions are wrong. I don't think that God is threatened by the fact that you and I have questions about what's going on in our lives. I just think it's important that you let your questions take you somewhere, take you to someone, because Too many believers stop with questions and never go anywhere with them. They just just sit there frustrated or angry or disappointed. Where you should go is to God's Word. Who you should go to is Jesus Christ, because the Bible says about Jesus that he is the answer. Wow, he is the answer. Now, in in my struggles with this issue, I have come to some conclusions in my life. I I suppose from personal study and and maybe by observation, personal experience, the writings and the counsel of other godly people, and I have concluded that effectiveness in seeking God's kingdom, effectiveness in prayer, requires the use of four keys, and these are the four I'm gonna give you today. The first key is the key of praise. The second key is the key of confession. The third key is the key of crying out to God. And the fourth key is the key of trust. So let's look at all four of those briefly this morning. The first one is praising God. I have learned that praising God is vital to opening the heavens over your life. Do you know what I'm talking about when I say the heavens being opened over your life? That means there's no barrier between you and God. The heavens open up. It gives you the image of something pouring down through the opening into your life. I have learned that praise is vital for that to happen. Often the first thought that comes to our minds, however, when talking about praise is how can I praise God when I'm going through such a terrible trial in my life right now. How can I praise God? But it's right here at this point in your life that victory is either won or it is lost. Listen to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20. At all times and for everything, give thanks in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God the Father. Let's look at those, those, uh, that verse again and just look at the, the, the uh, little tidbits that I underlined, the phrases. At all times, give praise to God. Okay, how about that next one? For everything? Now, I would be inclined to say, in spite of everything, give praise to God. This one says for everything. That means... I'm supposed to praise God for what's going on in my life. How in the world can we praise God for a desperate trial, like, like say, maybe losing your job or, or, or maybe going bankrupt or, or, or maybe it has to do with physical pain? How can you be thankful to God when you are in terrible pain in your body? The truth is, this is not easy. This is part of our warfare. Warfare is not easy. But, and it goes against the way we feel inside. In fact, I found it interesting that in my Bible when I I looked up Ephesians chapter 5 verse 20, it was in a section of Scripture and the title of that section of Scripture was simply called Living by the Spirit's Power. And part of Living by the Spirit's Power was this verse which said, says give God praise in everything for everything with thankfulness in your heart. And see what I have learned is it takes the Spirit's power in you to be able to praise God for everything. You'll never be able to do that on your own. You've gotta have God's Spirit helping you to pull that off. But here's why you can praise Jesus. Because everything that he does in your life is good even though it may not feel like it's good at the moment. One of my favorite songs that we sing right now is that song entitled Good, Good Father. I, I don't know that there's been a time that we haven't sung that song that I've, that I've just started weeping. I have tears coming to my eyes because he's such a good, good father and I'm loved by him. He's a good, good father, that's who he is and I'm loved by him and that's who I am. And what a power, that's the gospel message right there. He is a good good father. Psalm 34 verse 8 says the same thing. Taste and see that the Lord is good. What does that verse tell us about God and about how he deals with us? It tells us that it is the nature of God to be good. If God is anything, he is good. He's good all the time. And all the time he's He's good, and his plan through these trials will bring good into our lives, even things that we really don't like. And brothers and sisters, I've got those things just like you've got those things. One that jumped to my mind real easily goes in our family back to 2009, because in 2009, Carrie was was diagnosed with cancer. And um, she had to have surgery Uh, I I believe in February or March, to, to remove the tumor. And the prognosis for her looked very, very good. But several years, just maybe a multitude of months later, she started experiencing some terrible pain in her lower back, her upper back, and in her hips. And the doctors were very concerned that her cancer had returned and had spread to her bones. And that's what they told us my heart just sank. The Sunday before our doctor's visit, I had preached a sermon on guess what verse? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20. I hate it when I preach these things and then I have to live them the week after. It would just be easy to give it to you and then never be confronted with the trial myself. You know, that's what I'd like. But it almost never fails that something comes our way. I had preached on Ephesians 5.20 just before we went to the doctor, and they had said this might be bone cancer. Well, we didn't know what we were facing with this trial, but we we did know what God's Word tells us that we were supposed to do. And so we praised God for the trial. We praised Him knowing that the Lord was working something good in our lives because God is good all the time, and all the time, God is good. Now, I will be honest with you. I did not feel the goodness of God right at that moment. I did not feel like praising God when we were facing that. I had fear of what might happen in our family, but I don't think it's wrong to experience fear. I just think it's wrong to stay in fear. Because if you stay in fear, if you don't let the Spirit give you victory over that uh, if you don't consciously fight your way through to praise, your faith will, will be hindered and, and the blessings and miracle of God, miracles of God will be hindered. Well, later that week, we went to the doctor. They did the tests and gave us the report and we found out that she did not have bone cancer and we really praised God for that. But while we were excited for the good word that her cancer had not come back, still she had this pain in her neck, her lower back, and in her hips. And sometimes it was so bad that, you know, Sunday mornings where we come up and we greet you, there were t- many Sundays I came up and gre- greeted you because she couldn't walk up the three steps to get up here because the pain was too bad. And, and she dealt with that pain over the course of a couple of years. And what the doctors told her was that the treatment she had received for her cancer the radiation and some pill they gave to her afterwards had affected her bones, weakening her bones, and they called her bones, she said that their bone, They said that her bones were growing soft and that there was virtually nothing they could do about it. She went into a pain clinic here, had shots in her upper spine, lower spine, very temporary relief from it. And, and we didn't really know what we were going to do. We sought God, we prayed to God, we praised God for everything. Well, about two years ago, in fact, I'm going to tell you, it was two years ago today. Today is March the 19th, if I'm correct. It was March the 19th, two years ago. I was here at the church having a board meeting with our leadership team, and She decided to turn on some Christian television and she landed on a program called The 700 Club. Many of you know that that program. Towards the end of the program, they prayed for people who had needs, and one of the hosts of the program that night gave a word of knowledge that said something like, there's someone watching who is struggling with soft bones. God is healing that right now. Well, Carrie just claimed that word for her. She said, that is for me. And she began to praise God for touching her. And when I got home, she couldn't wait to tell me what God had done for her. And I said, do you still have pain? And she said, yes, but I know that I am healed. And she went to bed that night. We went to bed that night. The next morning she got up, zero pain, and she's had zero pain for two years today. The healing power of God and What I learned through just that one experience and so many more I could go on and on about our lives is That we have got to practice as believers Ephesians five twenty in our lives Praising God at all times and for everything that's the first key that you've got to learn to use to effectively seek the kingdom of God number two confessing God's word It's important that you understand just how powerful the Word of God is, the Bible. The Word of God, the Bible, is unlike any other book ever written. No other book out there, religious book or whatever, compares to God's Word, the Bible. Hebrews 4.12 says, The Word of God is living and active. One of the things I notice about the critics of Christianity, they say, You Christians just follow an old book, an old, rusty, worn-out book. I want you to know that when you know Jesus and the power of the Word, the written Word and the living Word, and Jesus Christ comes to live within you, that Word is living, that Word is active, that Word is participating in our lives. The New Living puts it this way, the Word of God is alive and powerful, so it's powerfully active. And 2 Timothy 3.16 says that this word, this scripture, is breathed by God into our lives. So the Bible, as you're reading God's word, the Bible, God is breathing his life breath into you. And when we read God's word, it first of all begins to transform the way we think. We get corrupted by the world around us. We accept the world's values. That corrupts us. When we read the Word of God, God begins to take the etch-a-sketch of your brain and turn it upside down and start shaking it until the screen comes clean and clear. How many of you know what an etch-a-sketch is? All right, you got it then. All right, you old people. All right, so God begins to clean the screen of your brain and he starts writing a new way of looking at life, what the Apostle Paul calls in Romans 12, two, a renewed mind. It brings a change to the way you think. It takes you from worldly thinking, what someone so rightfully coined as stinking thinking, to spirit-empowered thinking. You start thinking on a, in a different way. You start seeing life in a different way. You start seeing challenges differently. It, it's spirit-empowered thoughts. You start seeing life from God's point of view, and that brings victory to your mind and to your heart. And the more you read of God's Word, the more this transformation takes place. You just become a new creation in Christ Jesus. But God's Word does more than just transform the way you think. It also brings God's power to bear upon your circumstances. In Genesis chapter 1, the Bible says that God's Spirit hovered over the lifeless earth. It hovered. Some of the translations say that the Spirit brooded over the face of the deep. That that word, I think, gives us a very interesting picture of what happens. the word brood reminds me of a, of a hen who broods over her eggs to, to hatch them. We who live in Utah know that, that a winter storm can, can hover, it can brood over the Wasatch Front Mountains and in so doing dump, dump enormous amounts of snow upon the valley floor. The point is brooding, hovering, brings development. It develops something, you following me? It causes things to happen, whether it's the birth of a chick, whether it's the birth of a storm, or whether it's creation itself. God hovering brought the creation of the world, the earth, and everything upon the earth. So God's spirit brooded over the deep, Genesis 1-2 says, and it was the start of life itself. And the Bible says, then God said, let there be. What I want you to see here, it was after he brooded that then he said, let there be, and there was. Brooding first, let there be, are you getting it? Brooding first, we don't like the brooding part because it's boring. We all have ADHD. We do in American culture. We're so used to everything flying so fast. That's not how God works. Anybody learned that? You will brood over something. God will do a deep work. The psalmist said, deep calls unto deep. Deep things will happen while you're brooding, while you're hovering over a a situation. And that spirit of God that brought about creation, that same spirit now hovers over you When you read God's Word, a brooding is taking place. God is getting ready to hatch a whole new plan, a whole new idea. He's going to bring to life something brand new that you had no idea about. It's a powerful Word that takes place within you. And when we speak that Word then, God's life is released into the situation, and a miracle comes to be. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6, Amplified says, For he, God himself, has said, I will not in any way fail you, nor give you up, nor leave you without support. I will not, I will not, I will not in any degree leave you helpless, nor forsake, nor let you down, or relax my hold on you, assuredly not. Now, I don't know how much more Uh, emphatic God can be with us than what he just said right there and so he goes on to say now in verse 6 we take comfort and are encouraged and confidently and boldly say the Lord is my helper I will not be seized with alarm I will not fear or dread or be terrified now you have to understand that God is not obligating himself to do just any old thing that comes into your brain it's what he has said that has power. When we say in agreement what he has said, that brings the power. And that's why you've got to know the Word of God. That's why you've got to confess the Word of God over your health. You confess the Word of God over your marriage. You confess the Word of God over those rebellious children. You confess the Word of God over your financial picture. You've, you confess the, the Word of God to bring comfort to your soul, over your job, over anything that you may be experiencing in life. If God promised it, he is good for it. That's why verse six says, so we take comfort and are encouraged and confidently and boldly say, the Lord is my helper. So after he has brooded over you, the faith is just growing. And now it's about to explode like a, like a volcano that's being caged underneath the earth, and finally the pressure becomes so great, and you say, God is my helper, and I'm going to be healed. God is my helper. I'm going to be sustained. God is my helper. My kids are going to be saved. God is my helper. My marriage is going to make it. On and on and on you can go, because God has brooded something over your life. You've taken time. So the second key is confessing God's word over your life. The third key is crying out to God. The scriptures are full of encouragement to cry out to the Lord. Let me just give a few of these verses to you. Psalm 18, verse 6. In my distress I called upon the Lord. Now look how he takes it up a notch. I cried to my God for help. And he heard my voice out of his temple, and my cry for help before him came into his ears. He went from from sharing a need to impassioned, crying out to God. Psalm 55, 17, evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. Psalm 34, 15, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to, what? Their cry, their cry. Jeremiah 33:3. three, call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. Now, one Christian writer wrote these words. Let me share them with you. And we don't have it on the screen, so you just have to listen. He says, after knowing the Lord Jesus Christ and teaching and studying his word for many years, it was only recently that I made what was for me a life-changing discovery. I saw that the Bible makes a distinction between prayer and crying out to God. What I have noticed since that time is that he will arrange or allow circumstances to arise that seem to have no solution and then do nothing to remove the problem Until I cry out, and not one second sooner. Each situation seems so hopeless, and sometimes a cry seems so futile. Yet this is precisely the setting God wants in order to demonstrate His loving care and His powerful hand of protection. Sometimes a cry will bring freedom from emotional bondage. In other cases, God will provide healing from a dread disease or help in a moment of grave danger, or clear direction in a season of deep perplexity. In every circumstance, the need to cry out is a humbling reminder of my total inability to accomplish anything significant for God. And the result of crying out is a wonderful demonstration of his supernatural power to achieve all that is needed. For most of my life, I assumed that crying out was simply synonymous with prayer. I have come to be amazed, however, to see the specific purposes and potential for crying out and how this is emphasized time and again in Scripture. He who wants your heart also wants your voice. Did you get that last part? He who wants your heart also wants your voice. I've learned that with my wife. You've heard of the, the guy, the husband, the, his wife came to him and griped, you never tell me you love me anymore. He said, I told you when we got married I loved you. If it ever changes, I'll let you know. <laughs> well, I don't know if that's good enough in your family. I'll tell you what, that's not good enough for this one over here. She wants to hear my voice telling her that she's number uno, numero uno in my life. Okay, yes. You didn't know I was bilingual, did you? Um, (laughs) that she is number one and I I need to hear that too so just getting married and signing a contract wasn't enough every day multiple times during the day we tell each other we love each other we go to bed at night telling each other we love each other we leave each other in the morning telling each other we love each other because you never know when that will be the last time you'll say it and so we tell each other that we love and God wants your heart but he also wants your voice that that means you're not you just thinking it but you're saying it to him so from my perspective let me give you three thoughts about what crying out to god means crying out to god number one will involve persistence in luke 18 verse 1 jesus gave a parable about prayer and he taught his disciples here he said this is what you got to know You've got to pray. I'm going to tell you a story about prayer. And the moral of the story is always pray and do not give up. We give up too easily. We give up too quickly. Jesus said, never give up. All right, number two, passion. I'm going to go back to those scriptures I shared with you just a moment ago. The Hebrew word used in Jeremiah 33 is, where it says he called out to God or he called, he called to me, it means to call aloud or cry out. To call aloud or cry out. Well, I'm timid. Maybe you need the Holy Spirit to help you here, to not be timid. Do you want a timid answer? Or do you want a powerful answer? I want a powerful answer. Cry out to God. So what he says here, going back to Psalm 18:6, we read a little bit ago. The Hebrew word for cry out there means a high-pitched shout for help. It's like you're out in the middle of the deepest lake in America and you're drowning and you're barely treading water. Help. Help. Here I am. I mean, If some of us acted in the middle of that lake the way we act at church, you'd have been dead years ago. Well, I don't want anybody else to hear me. I'll raise my hand. The Lord, clap to Jesus. I'm not trying to make fun of you. I'm just telling you that the Bible says a high-pitched shout for help, and I think we got it in us. If your football team is winning in the Super Bowl, I have a feeling there's a high-pitched shout of victory. And if your team is losing, there's a high-pitched shout for, Help, God, look, look at that team. They've got to be your team. <laughs> Sid believes the Dallas Cow- that God's a Dallas Cowboy fan. And we all know that's not true. <laughs> but, but my point, just simply being... We can get enthusiastic about this if we're desperate enough. This gives us a sense of an impassioned plea before God that originates deep within your soul, deep within you, and it's not concerned with what anyone else might think. It lays pride aside, it seeks God's help with great passion, okay? that, that's, so that's the second thing, passion. Number three is patience. Galatians 6, verse 9, at just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. So how many of you know that God's timetable and yours are different? It says at just the right time. Well, the right time for me was yesterday. But he has a right time for all these things. I'm going to stay persistent, I'm going to stay impassioned, and I'm going to stay patient. And that's what's involved in crying out to God. Okay, number four, the fourth key. Trusting God. Psalm 4, verse 3. The Lord will hear when I call him. Do you trust that? Do you believe that? The Lord will hear you. So it means trusting that he's going to hear. It means trusting that he's going to work the plan out. It means trusting that his plan is good, even if I don't understand it, you don't understand it. Trusting that his timing is perfect. I just want you to know this morning that you can trust Jesus. You can trust him with your finances. You can trust him with your health, your jobs, your kids, your future, your marriage, mostly. You can trust him with your soul. You can trust him with your soul. I've had people say to me, I don't think God could ever forgive me. You're wrong. You can trust Jesus with your soul. Well, you don't know what I've done. That's true, but you don't know what I've done. And I can tell you, he forgave me. The Apostle Paul, you know what he called himself? The chiefest of sinners. That means I'm the worst sinner who ever walked on the face of the planet. Any of you ever felt that way? You don't have to put your hands up. I noticed Dave Pierce's hand went up, but other than that, and Terry's over there nodding. Yes, he is, or was. (laughs) Yeah, we, we all know that we don't deserve this, but God wants you to know that what you can't deserve, he qualifies you for because of Jesus. And if you put your faith in Christ, and you say, Jesus, you paid the penalty, for my sin on that cross and I believe that and I accept that and sometimes people will do that and they'll have tears streaming down their cheeks and other people will do that in a very stoic measure, in a very stoic way and it'll just be matter of fact. Lord, I believe that you died for my sins and I accept you as my personal savior and Lord. When you do that, you are accepted into the kingdom of God this is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com.